Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Thank you all for making it. We're going to be the number one media conglomerate in the world. The key here is act like a happy family. We're the Osbournes, and I'm Daddy fucking Warbucks, okay? I always wanted one of you kids to take over. People would do well to remember there's going to be a new sheriff in town. Here's to us. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Succession. I'm Vanity Fair Senior Writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson. Each week we break down the latest episode of HBO series uh, Succession. This week we are talking about Season 2, Episode 2, Volter, uh, which is all about uh, digital media. Richard, we know nothing about that, right? This episode is a horror show. I mean, it is so scary <laughs> it really is. for media people because it gets it so right. It really does. Um, yeah. It's a tough sit. It's a tough, tough sit. Yeah. Um, if you are just joining us, you know, we, like I said, we will not spell anything beyond this episode. We're going to break down this episode. Uh, we would love to hear from you all. If you're watching Succession, you can email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com your thoughts about Succession, uh, who your favorites are, whether or not you think this is uh, a good thing to watch in our current day and age uh richard and i are really enjoying it so we hope you are as well um we are going to i mean like where do you where do you even want to start i just i kind of just want to do the vulter of it all i mean yeah, the, let's just let's, dive into the scary part let's just go for it so in season one um let's pivot to vulture yeah. <laughs> Season one, uh, this company owned by the Roy family, uh, acquired Volter, which is, um, I was thinking it was 
BuzzFeed, but of course, uh, it's Gawker is sort of what they're doing here. They're doing Gawker. Or it's Mike.com. Or, I, mean, I mean, it could be any number of things, but, um, yeah. I've been told that it's modeled, uh, more directly on Gawker. And Richard, you worked for Gawker, so maybe you have some, mm-hmm. uh, insight That's there. Um, where I started my career in the media. Um, did you have a, a yeah. beehive on the, on the top floor? Did you make hipster uh, honey? Uh, sorry, there was a little yeah. technical thing. BYO um, beehive. Yeah. I mean, I think that. There have been lots of things that have tried to talk about new media, uh, you know, whether they're TV shows or movies. I think about Justin Timberlake's, I believe, first line in Friends with Benefits being like, traffic, 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 people. And it's like, okay, that's not what media companies feel like at all. Um, this gets it so right. I mean, they've had, you know, they've had the benefit of time, obviously more examples, but the way that they populate the Volter offices with the, the extras it they really cast does. are so right. You know, there's a little detail in the background. I don't know if you notice when, when Kendall is first addressing the team, there are those golden birthday balloons in the background and they're say, they, they, they say 25. You know, and it's like, oh, so they're all young and they're idealistic, but the stuff kind of seems kind yes. of ju- not junky exactly, but yep. sort of basic, yep. but just presented well. Like the office is so perfectly designed, like the open concept, like all of it is just like dead on accurate, which makes it all the more you know, frightening because we see what happens, which is a larger company becomes involved. They have different priorities than this, you know, editorial outlet. Uh, and then when push comes to shove, the bigger company just says, yeah, well, fuck it. Like, goodbye, you know, um, which has happened many times, you know, um, not just to Gawker. So my perception is that, so we've got this character of Lawrence Lee played by Rob Yang, who, um, sold Gawker or well, sorry, sold, <laughs> sold, sold Volter with like an inflated, uh, sense of its value. You know what I mean? And then it's like underperforming basically like it, it was a bad deal, um, in terms of how much, uh, that that Logan paid for the company. This was Kendall's baby. And so then it becomes, you know, with, with Kendall and Roman as, as chief operating, um, operating officers, COOs, I'll just say, <laughs> so I don't mess up the titles. Um, you know, they're tasked together to solve this problem and it becomes, uh, you know, a classic Logan pitting the two boys against each other in terms of like, whoever, whoever solves this problem gets a cookie. And, um, I love how this all starts because Kendall's just in there looking at like report after report and Roman is so anxious and he like calls Jerry and he's like, I don't know, Kendall's doing stuff. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and she's like, why don't you try doing stuff? <laughs> and he's like, all right. Uh, and he takes a bunch of the young employees out and, and gets them drunk and finds out about their plan to unionize, which is another like very accurate thing of what's happening uh, in digital media is this move uh, towards unionization. And, um, I just like, I love, like, he, he's like, I have one idea, pivot to video. Jerry's like, I think they tried that. And I just love that pivot to video is just tossed off and then moved past because that is like three years ago, actually. Mm-hmm. And it was disastrous. And, yeah. They mentioned Facebook changing algorithms, which yes. is another thing that we, you know, in, in media are kind of living in constant, you know, both worship and fear and uh, of the Facebook algorithm. And, and that's another very like telling detail. I cannot like uh, you know I take I take a lot of notes when I watch these episodes and I wrote Facebook Facebook changed their algorithm in all caps <laughs> because like I that is that is they got the right consultants on this episode uh, mm-hmm. is what I have to say about that anyway so they they both come back 
with this, with Roman's intel and Kendall's intel, Kendall's all for saving the company. Roman's like, no, let's ditch it, uh, because of, you know, these various factors. Um, Logan says, okay, like, let's, let's get rid of it. I agree. And then Kendall executes his plan and like, for as like broken and robotic as he still seems in this episode, it is, Kendall does pull off this very sharky plan that, like, I was blindsided by. Like, I, I genuinely believed him when he was like, we just, you know, like, let's cool it with these unions. I want to help you feed me your ideas and we'll figure it out together, bros. And I like, I, I definitely believe Kendall. And then, no, he was just trying to like, mine them for ideas, stave off the unionization so that they could just strip the company. Did you, were you, were you fooled by this or was it just me? No, I totally was. I mean, I yeah. at first didn't really understand the about face, but then when he kind of explained that he basically got IP from them without, you know, and then, and then fired them all. Like I was like, Oh, that's, you know, horrible and shrewd. And he knows that it's horrible and shrewd, but he does it anyway. And um yeah, it was a total, I mean, this whole, this episode is, this whole contained arc. I mean, it, it's really rich and, 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 um, just chock full of, of human drama in a way that I just found kind of staggering. Um, and, you know, cause like, you know, I am awfully close to the case on that matter, but like, um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it just adds another layer of depth to, um, Kendall's characterization, you know, that like, cause we've been, again, we've been sort of rooting. He's kind of our window into this world. Like we've been rooting for him in a way. Uh, and then we see that he's just as conniving and ruthless and, uh, you know, single-minded about Waystar, uh, as anyone else. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just got like chilled to the bone and like tossing these 20 somethings out on the street, uh, you know, saying that if they put, like, they have to sign NDAs, if they post anything, they like lose all their severance, basically. Like, it's just, it's so brutal. Uh, and you know, and then once again, he basically says, like, you know, because my dad told me to, uh, which, you know, is a, is a phrase, an unbelievable phrase that Lawrence Lee just like shouts back at him. Um, yeah, it's, it's just like, you know, you and I have seen, we're very lucky to have our jobs. We've seen so many like bright, uh, you know, driven colleagues get just sort of crushed in what's happening in digital media. Um, and I just, I'm amazed at how right, how correct yeah. uh, this all is. And, and I think an interesting thing that arises from the scene where he, you know, breaks the news to everybody, um, that this show interacts with often is, and I, I, I won't speak for you. I'll speak for me. There is a thrill in watching the absolute power that Kendall has in that moment. You know, even though it's something, he's doing something bad and I can absolutely empathize with these, you know, Volter staff members who, whose world is sort of, you know, you know, yanked from underneath them. In the sort of propulsion, uh, dramatic, you know, uh, energy of the show, it's, there's something exciting about that he can just do that. You know what I mean? Um, and so I think that's just another example of how this show really is trying to investigate our fascination 
with the rich and powerful and, 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 and our relationship to the idea of that power and what it can do both for good, which we don't really see any of on this show and obviously for bad. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me to watch Kendall execute his father's vision, um, still read as broken, but also so incredibly powerful, broken and powerful at the same time, as you say. Uh, the other thing that, that Kendall does in this episode, I mean, like, I think, uh, Roman calls him a broken robot and points out that, like, the, the episode opens on, uh, Kendall's daughter's birthday at, uh, Waystar amusement park uh that has been like closed down for her enjoyment and she comes up to hug him and he just like can't even like yeah. give her a hug back he's just like a nothing um but he still has that amb- like he's still playing the game he's broken and he's nothing and he's still like all that he's left of his ambition basically you know what i mean like i think he cares about his daughter having a good day he's glad she's having a good day but he's just like he's he's scooped out um, but yeah. he still wants to beat his brother, you know? Well, it's all, the only thing he really has left, you know, it's the only thing kind of tethering him to, I think that, you know, in this season so far, Kendall is, I think, deliberately isolated from his, you know, his daughter and his, um, former, I guess, ex-wife, I guess. Um, you know, he's really just, the only thing that he is, is, you know, an embodiment of a, por- of a portion of the company, you know? Um, and yeah, and I think it's interesting that later in the episode, he thanks his father for shutting down the park. And, you know, she had a great time. She met, I forget the character's name, something with, it was snow. Like snow Joe or something. Yes, Snow Joe or something. <laughs> um, but it, he says it in a robotic way. He's saying yeah. it not because he's expressing genuine gratitude and that his daughter had a nice time, but he, he's saying it because he knows he has to say it lest he, you know, further alienate his father. Right. He has to kiss the ring sort of thing. The other thing that Kendall does in this episode, uh, gets Greg an apartment. Uh, Nicholas Braun, who plays Greg, is like six foot seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the visual of him checking out that like one studio with like a, a what was it like a mezzanine or whatever it was called. Um, and, and, and then going, it's a maybe, which is one of my favorite line reads of the episode. Uh, and then getting this like glorious, huge apartment. And the reason he gets it is not because Kendall's a nice guy and helping, um, helping Greg out, but because, um, like he needs him there. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Maybe in a similar way that Tom needs Greg, but he needs him there. He like forces him to throw a party and Greg so nicely is like, could this maybe not be in my place anymore? And he's like, nope, sorry. It's definitely here. Um, I believe Kendall refers to himself as a techno Gatsby, which uh, was another line that I really love in this episode. And like we see, you know, we've seen him taking drugs, uh, already this season, but, um, like he's just completely trashed uh in this party scene and this is like the aftermath of like i've had to do this horrible thing now let me try to numb myself with drugs with alcohol with pursuit of uh women like whatever it is um and i feel bad for him how do i watch him gut a company that is like that hits so close to our home richard and then feel bad for poor Kendall in this party scene. Like how does, what is the witchery of the show that it makes that work? Well, yeah. I mean, like, so they think that, you know, the, the power he wields is corrosive to himself, you know, it's destroying him. 
Um, and I think there is absolutely an innate human compassion toward that sort of thing, you know, um, even if, you know, politically or whatever, I, I certainly would not want to be friends with Kendall Roy in real life. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, you know, cause the show is so good at articulating exactly what it is that is eating away at Kendall. You can't help but sort of feel a sense of worry for him. Yeah. The Oscars are almost upon us, which means now is the time to start catching up on all of the buzz from this year's award season. I'm Katie Rich. I'm one of the hosts of Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Every week, we cover the ups and downs of the Oscar race, from Barbenheimer to the Golden Globes controversy, and much more. We also have weekly interviews with some of the year's biggest contenders, like Emma Stone, I mean, that's how you know you really love and trust and respect someone is that we can absolutely fight. Paul Giamatti. It's like, holy <laughs> He just nailed the <laughs> out of that. Sorry. And America Ferreira. It's like yeah. people standing around for hours just waiting to, like, be a part of this cultural moment. Whether you're a Hollywood insider or just want to win your office's Oscar pool, Listen to Little Gold Men, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan. A sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. All right, can we can we switch to Tom now? A day in the life of Tom. Oh yeah, new, please. New co-chief of ATN. All right, so Tom gets this new gig where he's head of ATN, but he is like co-head with a character named Sid Peach, Perfect. played by played by Jenny Berlin. Uh, Jenny Berlin, who we mentioned last week. This is maybe my new favorite character ever oh on God. television. Uh, Even so, though, again, she's bad. She's she's Roger Ailes. You know? She's Roger Ailes. So she's so good. All right. So, like Tom's day starts. I just I just want to like wind us back to the beginning. Like Tom's day starts with um him wanting to put a large portrait of himself and Shiv on the wall of the blank wall of their new place, and he goes. To Saddam, to Asadi, yeah, okay, I won't do it. Um, and then he asks to have sex, and she's not interested. And she still hasn't told him like that, you know. Uh, she's been tapped to do this thing. Well, um, yeah, and 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 the funny thing is when she she's like, "We're just, I'm just such in a different headspace or something," you know? Yeah. Which like she what she's saying to him, "I don't want to have sex right now," but like the reality is that like her, it's a much different headspace that she's kind of talking about. Um, and in the, in the first episode of this season, when she proposes to her, she kind of games out to her dad, like what, how you would, um, you know, keep the company alive. She talks about getting rid of news 
And here she is now sending Tom off to his first day at school running the news company, knowing that if she were to become the successor to, you know, her father, that she might get just do away with it. So she's right. playing this really duplicitous game. It's true. And like, this is the, um, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about the, the, the Murdoch children. Um, well, I know a bit about Lachlan, but like this, this reminds me, I guess, of like Ivanka Trump, who like tries to have this like veneer of progressive, um, ideology that she somehow feels okay still working for her father. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And Shiv is not, she's not Ivanka. Like I like her so much more than I like Ivanka generally, but like, uh, Shiv and Tom are like, they're liberals as far as like, like socially liberals. Their, their, their dog is named Mondale. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're, so we, we see this most with cousin Greg when they walk into ATN and Greg is like, this is the one part of the company I did not want to have anything to do with, which is Fox news. Like I, it feels morally wrong. And Tom, of course, like once again, like, uh, you know, a wet tissue, like it has not a lot of issues compromising his morals. But what I love is that we get this scene with, with Sid peach. And I like, I don't know if, uh, if Roger Ailes or anyone who has, who's, who's run Fox has been like a true believer, but like, Tom's like, I get it. We're all here. We all are like feeding junk food to the dummies of middle America, you know, fear mongering. I'm fine with it. It's okay. And then she's like, no, fuck you. That's not what we do. And even if that is what she believes they do, she's like, you're not allowed to like say that that's what we do. And that's not what we do. And it's just this like great back to back scenes of her, like welcoming him, being nice to him, telling him he can go ahead and run the meeting. And then just like ripping him to shreds in her office in a way yeah. that was like so enormously satisfying. I love when she says, your father sends me one of you every four years. That train is never late. Oh, it's, uh, so it's just such great writing. And she delivers it perfectly. Even again, her character is p- probably morally corrupt uh, and, and, and bankrupt. But uh, and yet I, I'm so happy that she's in the show now. Yeah, she says that and then and then he's like, I don't know, I'll catch up with you later. She says, Not on your dying day. <laughs> like, it's just I love her. I love her in the Sid Peach. Um, I think uh Siobhan says something like, You gotta eat the peach or something like that. You know what I mean? Like you gotta you have to make a space for yourself. Uh you're you're being put in a co position with her. And, uh, you know, Sid, Sid's like, no, I mean, what's so funny, I'm sure she's not, uh, based on this woman, but she reminds me so much of this woman that I worked for, um, in San Francisco, whose name is also Sydney. Um, she just reminded me so much of, I've met so many women like her and I was just like, yep, here it is again. Like I didn't work for Roger Ailes, but I worked for a woman like the, like Sydney Peach. And it's just like, it's a perfect, He's just capturing these characters so perfectly, um, you know, so. Yeah. And I love that in this episode between the stuff at ATN and the stuff at Valter, you know, and again, this is because I work in media, but like, I love that it's about media, like, cause it's about it intelligently, um, and in, in, in a funny way, in a sad way, like, but I, I, whatever the family industry is, it could be coal mining, it could be whatever. I'm just glad that they're digging into it, you know? I'm glad that they're actually addressing what the thing is. I think a lot of times, um, in movies and TV, when, you know, you have someone who's like running an industry or whatever, that 
the, the show or doesn't actually seem that concerned with the mechanics of that business. It, the business is just kind of the platform from which to tell, you know, human drama stories. Um, so I like that they're actually like investigating the particulars of the industry that has made them so wealthy. Right, exactly. And so like, and we should say that the reason that Tom really wants to be at, at Fox is it feels, or ATN, is that it feels like, um, this, the news division is like the most valuable. And I would say, I mean, like, the Disney merger complicates it, but like, the, the Fox News being a crown jewel for better or worse in like sort of the Fox Media Corp is like undeniable in terms of its power, its political power. Um, and that's something that Tom wants a taste of. And, um, we get this early hint that, um, and this isn't a spoiler, I don't know, but we get this early hint that we might see more of ATN either over the course of this season or in subsequent seasons when she mentions that they're, they're going over the format of the debate. And so we have to remind ourselves that there is like a presidential campaign sort of slowly burbling in the background of, of this show. And so like what, what the messiness of Logan Roy's son, Connor running for president when he owns the equivalent of Fox news, Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, when Shiv is working for another candidate in, in exactly. Gil. Yeah. So, uh, do we want to talk about Connor or do we want to talk about Shiv and Gil? Which one? Uh, let's go to Shiv and Gil first. And then All right, we can so get to Connor. Gil, played by the great, um, Eric Bogosian. Did I pronounce that correctly? Like Bogosian. Bogosian. Right. There it is. Yep. That's right. Uh, I was like, nope, that didn't sound right. That sounds right. Uh, great, great actor playing a, an obvious sort of Bernie Sanders, uh, type character. And, um, I'm like, I don't know. It's just funny. Cause like when he, when he popped up as this sort of like Bernie counterpoint, uh, last year, you know, we were just sort of like still dealing with the first Bernie run and the fact that we're like in the midst of the second Bernie run already. I'm just like, feels like time is shrinking, uh, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, Shiv, Shiv has this decision to make, like, does she immediately leave this kid? Does she trust that her father's offer is real and leave this gig she has as, as like running this presidential campaign? Um, when, especially when she's been offered potentially chief of staff for Gil, if he wins the presidency, um, does she leave him or does she, what Tom advises is that she tries to sort of like slow roll it and do both, um, until she figures out whether or not her father's offer is for real. And <laughs> I love, I love that Shiv like has this strategy section session with him goes like, yep, that's the play. That's the play. And then does not seem to do that. I, either she does not seem to do that or she fucks up the attempt to do that. What is your read on that? Like, uh, no, I quit. No, you're fired sort of scene. Yeah, that yeah. shift felt very abrupt. I, wa- I wasn't sure if I had like missed something about why she was kind of immolating in that way. Yeah. Um, but I guess maybe the thinking was that she wanted to make a clean break. Um, or, or, or not a clean break, but a definitive one. Um, but I'm not really sure. I mean, it, it that felt a little bit. I guess I just didn't really know where that came from. 
Yeah, my read was that she, you know, Tom's like the play is you sort of consider both. And then my read is that she was like, yeah, that's the play. And maybe like Shiv's uh thing is she asks Tom for advice and then does the opposite every uh-huh. time. Like uh-huh. I wouldn't blame her. So that's sort of what it read like to me. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's the play. Nope, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to burn this down. Um, But she's ha- she has an interesting scene with Logan in this episode where he talks about how he envisions her coming into the company. And then it's like a three-year plan. And she's impatient with that. And then he's like, okay, well then come in right away. And then she's like, no, I have other things I need to do. And he was like, he's already growing like frustrate. Like it's already a bumpy process. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you see his impatience immediately with that, with her not being completely compliant and grateful uh, for, for the chance, you know, that's uh-huh. my read on that. So, um, and we should also know that, that, that Marsha pops in in that scene and is very like sort of sniffing around and it's oh, like, yeah. what's going on here? And like, then he tells her to go turn off the Alexa. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we also, of course, in this episode, uh, have Shiv telling Tom, uh, you know, that she got the offer and, uh, Tom taking it like kind of as well as he could, which is not very well. Yeah. Um, it's such a good bit of acting on, yeah. on Matthew McFadden's part. Um, yeah. And I like when he says something like, if you want it, it's okay to say that. Like he's giving her permission for something. She's so past that, you know, she doesn't, she's like, she's not concerned about hurting his feelings or whatever, but he thinks he's being the magnanimous one, the kind of consoling one. Uh, it's just another example of just like how she is like 18 steps ahead of him at all times. And he has no idea that she is. Yeah, absolutely. He's like, yeah, he, he plays these like weird old fashioned traditional roles with her when she, when it's just like, that's not at all who your wife is at all, even mm-hmm. close. You know, it's, it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. And yeah, he's incredible in that scene. He's just sort of like, holy shit. I thought it was going to be me. Maybe, maybe it could be me. And now I have to deal with the idea that like, no matter how high I climb, I will always potentially be second to my wife. Yeah. And, And, uh, and also the absurdity that it would ever be him, that he would even think that. Right. Right. But he does, you know, he's right. He says, you saw what he says, you saw what he, meaning Logan, you saw what Logan did to Kendall. Maybe it's about keeping your options open. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and just sort of like this idea of like, if, uh, whenever Logan brings one of them to heal, um, that's the most important thing for him. He just needs to bring them in to heal and then he doesn't ca- like he he doesn't care about them right. until they rebel again and then he brings them to heal. So um but this idea of like uh of of Shiv trying to believe that this is going to happen for her but then also being and and once again that's where that like weird smirk that Sarah Snook does in this role comes into play where she's you're just like does she feel confident? Does she feel insecure? It's both at the same time. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. And we see a li- some of the, the kind of brat uh, jump out where she makes the snide joke about, you know, do you want some Purell or whatever? Um, because he touched a commoner, you know, like, yeah. like I think that's partly about her putting on the rich heiress suit again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, Connor has moved to New York. Um, because his, uh, wife, Willa, uh, they're married, right? Um, she's in a play 
And so they're like living in a hotel and have a party there. And, um, I just kind of love her. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and I love Tabitha. Like these are the, you know, Roman's girlfriend. Like these are the people that I'm just sort of like, I actually might want to actually spend time with you. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm confused why you want to associate with the Roy family, but I, I am kind of interested in you. So. Yeah. One thing about the, the, the stuff with, with a little, the little stuff with Tabitha in this episode where, you know, where they have, um, Tom and Shiv over for dinner, um, is the first season seemed to kind of be intimating that Roman is gay, um, or at least not entirely straight. Um, and I, I'm, they haven't addressed that yet, you know, two episodes in. So I'm, I'm wondering where that's, if that's going to pop back up again. My read on the first season may be gay, but like definitely like some sort of sexual. Uh, no, I mean, like, I don't want to equate sexual dysfunction with gayness. Like maybe he's gay or at least has some sort of, uh, you know, issue with straight sex. Right. I don't know. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. one or the other. What well, was that? But it was also like his obsession with that trainer. Like, I don't, I don't know. So. Uh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. 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 So I'll be, I'll be curious, um, what they do. That said, that don't, that doesn't mean I want Tabitha out of the picture. Caitlin Fitzgerald is such a great actress and, um, she's, she's fun to have on the show. And something I also noticed in the dinner scenes, I tweeted about it is I'm obsessed with everyone's height on the show. Because oh, everyone's yeah. really tall or really short. And the way that they kind of play with those spatial dynamics, like when they're all, you know, crowded into the sort of foyer, foyer yeah, and you're like, yeah, Kim yeah. Culkin looks tiny and Matthew McFadden looks huge and Caitlin Fitzgerald looks even huger. Like it's just a very <laughs> funny dynamic, um, that I c- can't imagine is not deliberate. Yeah. She's like two feet taller than he is. Um, it's, I, I that's a, one of the many aspects of the dynamic that I love. I want Caitlin Fitzgerald and Elizabeth Debicki to be in like something together mm-hmm. where they just like loom over everyone. Um, yeah, she was, she was so good in Masters of Sex. And I like, I like, she gets to be much more playful, uh, and, and, uh, viperish in this role. And I, and I really love her in it. So no matter what is going on, I hope that Roman finds, something that works for him. And I hope there's still room for Tabitha on the show when he does, um, I guess would be my answer to all of that. Um, and then I guess, do we need to, do we need to like check in on, um, the most unlikely presidential candidate, uh, Connor Roy. Yeah. And once again, I just, I feel like he's like, we're, this isn't veep. They're not doing the presidential election. That's not like what they're concerned with, but like, it's, it's impossible to divorce, uh, the Richie Riches and, and politics at, at any point, but especially at this point. And I just, I think, uh, you know, what, else, <laughs> what else could be heading, we'd be heading towards other than a Connor Roy presidency? Of course. Yeah. I you mentioned, know? I mentioned last week that, um, I, I think that Connor is kind of like the best satire on the show. Um, because it just feels so pertinent to right now where like, here we have this guy who, by choice, I guess, didn't want to go into the family business, but wanted all of the wealth and the, the sort of access to power that comes attendant with, you know, the family he was born into. And now, after years of that kind of un, entirely unearned access and privilege and all that, just sort of thinks that he can do stuff that he can't do. You know, like, 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 I, I just love that, that, that assumption of worth 
um, that he is so imbued with, um, because it feels very apt to a lot of people, uh, currently running the country. Yeah. And it feels very, um, like, yeah. And I, I guess it's, it's Trumpy, but it's also like, um, feels very George W to me. He always feels very W to me. You know it what feels I mean? W. It feels like, I mean, granted these people have made things, but it feels like Elon Musk thinking he can solve the crisis of <laughs> Thai boy scouts caught in a cave yeah. or, or whatever the fuck, you know? And it's like, why do you think you can do that? Oh, because you have money and you have people saying yes to you all the time. You know, that, yeah. And that is, that is one dynamic that I think is interesting that, um, you know, I've seen Brian Cox make this distinction between Logan Roy and R- Rupert Murdoch is that Logan Roy is like somewhat much more of a self-made man. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, which just, you know, sets him apart from Trump and a lot of other like, you know, quite rich people who inherited their wealth and he built his wealth. And so this contrast of, um, I just like all the things that set Logan apart from his children. Like he resents his children for how like soft and privileged they are because he was not, um, they're, they're American. He's not, you know, like there's just these like weird, uh, distinctions or, you know, that, that it's like, we're not, you're not really my children because you've been spoon fed too much. And, um, I think that's much more interesting than like, we have money and we've always had money sort of, um, dynamic. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Is there anything else, uh, we want to, <laughs> as we cry better tears over the state of digital media, is there anything else, uh, we want to uh, talk about in this episode? Yeah. I mean, if anyone wants to offer me a backup job, just in case, I would appreciate that. You can email us at still watching. <laughs> <laughs> Still watching pot at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, eh, so, so it is the time of the show where we pick our most successful successor. Mm-hmm. Um, who you got this week? I'm going to go with Roman. Okay. Uh, because the way that he, by doing very little, got his brother to, you know, tear down Walter, tear down more of himself, you know, like, yes, at the end of the episode, we see that, uh, Kendall has earned some favor from his father and Roman is sort of like shocked by that. But I don't know. I still think in the long game, the fact that he kind of manipulated that whole situation into happening, uh, was, was quite a, a victory for him. Um, and then, um, I got to go with the peach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would be incredibly happy. Uh, if Sid Peach wound up, uh, running all of Waystar. So, uh, you know, there you go. Uh, Sid Peach, Roman, Roy, uh, these, the names of the show are just so incredible. Uh, Richard, until, until next time, uh, where can people find you? I'm going to be buying balloons for my 25th birthday. <laughs> Gotta Great. go do that. Uh, um, and I'll be tweeting and I'll be writing at bf.com. <laughs> where will you be before, uh, until we visit the Roy's next? Um, well, I'll obviously be tending the, the hipster beehive on the, <laughs> on the seventh floor or whatever. Um, and you can also find me on VF.com. You can find both of us on the podcast, Little Gold Men. And, uh, we will see you next time.
Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in-between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.